Today is the last Sunday before the Lent season begins, and it's uh, always called Transfiguration Sunday, which is an interesting word. It's a fancy word for this really trippy story that I'm about to read to you uh, in Luke chapter 9, verses, uh, verses 28 through 36. I'll read it, and then we'll just uh, reflect on this for a few moments, and then we'll celebrate communion together. All right, starting with verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, He took with him Peter and John and James and went up the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothes became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. They do this a lot. Uh, But they had become fully awake and saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we were here, is what you say when you've been sleeping in class and you get called on. Um, Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. As our Episcopal friends say, this is the very strange word of the Lord. So, thanks be to God. There you go. All right, so... uh, Two, two things at the top, just some really intro-level seminary fun stuff. Just a couple of things at the top before we uh, unpack this story. The first is the Captain Obvious elephant in the room sort of thing that you already know. I just want you to know that I know that you know, which is that this story is very, very strange. Is it not? I mean, this is not an easy story uh, to, to read and to understand. And just so you know, I mean, there's no level of... Um, uh, no level of theological or academic prowess exists that helps clarify this story. It doesn't. Uh, it's not there. Honest scholars actually just let the story sit as it is and just instead focus on things like what does it mean, what are the implications, and, uh, and that's maybe because Luke, the writer, doesn't even tell us uh, what is happening or how it happened. Uh, so it's a very interesting story. There are some scholars that feel like this story is an oddly placed post-resurrection experience. It's oddly placed in the Bible, Uh, but who knows? Again, the Bible is notorious for not telling us what it's doing, and so we have to sort of figure it out on our our own. Um, That being said, uh, in all three accounts of this story, it appears three times in our uh, Bibles, one in uh, Matthew's Gospel, one in Mark's Gospel, and then in here. in all three accounts of the story, it appears here in the, in the Jesus narrative. It's positioned always right here just before Jesus and his disciples make their way for the final time into Jerusalem uh, where Jesus will encounter his own betrayal, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, and of course his resurrection. So it functions as this kind of turn in the story. And on the church calendar, it acts as a transition into the season of Lent, because the season of Lent is marked by all these themes of struggle and friction and self-examination, also hope, and almost every story after this story is filled with those things. I mean, the disciples 
really go through the ringer uh, over the next several chapters, all the way to the end, really, and Jesus as well. And so it, it functions as not just a turn in the story, but on the calendar, it pushes us into uh, the season of Lent where we really encounter those things. So um, it's a simple story. You heard me read it, but let me just recap it. Jesus and three of his disciples, specifically Peter, James, and John, they field trip their way up a mountain. Uh, there are two well-known possible sites uh, of this mountain, the traditional site here. I have a picture of Mount Tabor. Uh, depending on where you grew up in the world, that may or may not qualify as a mountain. Um, it feels more like, uh, I don't know, the rolling hills of Tennessee maybe. But nevertheless, Luke calls it a mountain. And the reason for that is the mountain in Luke's gospel is always a place of prayer and divine encounter. Every time you see the word mountain in Luke's gospel, something divine is happening. It's a place of prayer, of struggle, also of change. And whatever it was that happened on this mountain, it did happen while Jesus was praying and while his disciples were, of course, fast asleep. And I suppose that what woke the disciples up was this conversation that was happening. Jesus is said to have just been standing there and talking with two other people, Moses and Elijah. These are two figures from Israel's past. I don't know if you know anything about these two people, but Elijah was a prophet from like the ninth century B.C. And, uh, he, you know, he's a fairly famous person in Israel's history, but the role of the prophet uh, was to help everyone keep their head down and focused on living as the people of God in the world, despite what trouble may come. I know we think of prophets as fortune tellers, future tellers, but that's actually not what they do. They spend the majority of their energy on redeeming the present moment to helping the people of God stay focused on God. And so maybe he represents that. I, I don't know. Moses, of course, if does anybody know the name Moses? Kind of a famous name, isn't it? Uh, Moses is, of course, the great liberator of Israel, uh, the leader of what we call the Exodus story, the Exodus event, the freedom fighter who led the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt. He's also the one who gave Israel the law, this lengthy ethical code for the nation of Israel. So he's associated with not just the law, but with this freedom-fighting, liberation sort of thing. Now, this story of the three accounts, this story that we have in Luke's gospel, is the only one that gives us the content of the conversation between these two people, or these three people, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And we see it in this verse here, in verse 31. They spoke of his, what? Departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They spoke of his departure. Say the word departure. This is the only piece of content that Luke gives us. This is what they're talking about. In the other stories, it's just they're speaking, but Luke gives us the content, the talking points. And we know that this points to the coming death and resurrection of Jesus. And the word departure, uh, the word that Luke uses here is the Greek word exodus the Greek word exodus, and the exodus event, and just the word exodus, lies at the foundation of Israel's identity. This is a people that was once enslaved, and then they were made free, and the exodus is a reminder of that story. It's a reminder of 
God's faithfulness in their struggles. Uh, one of the themes you see in the book of Exodus quite a bit is that God sees and hears the pain of Israel. Constantly throughout the story, you see that God is listening and he's watching. He sees and hears their pain. And so the Exodus draws up all these images of God for the people of Israel. But the Exodus event, if you haven't read it, you need to. It was not easy uh, for Israel and especially for uh, Moses. It was not easy for them. Um, And here's why. I always get nervous when I see the word Moses in a Bible story because um, they, people hated Moses. They just hated Moses. You know how where you work, you have a they in your company? Well, they said we have to do this now. Do you have that? You know what I'm saying? He was the they of Israel. You know, They want to be free, of course, who doesn't? Uh, God calls Moses to do this. Moses reluctantly accepts after many, many debates with God. I don't want to do it. Find somebody else, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he does it. He becomes the they. He's escalated to that level of authority. And uh, man, they hated him. They hated him. And he led them out of slavery. But where did they end up? They ended up in the wilderness. And the wilderness <laughs> is not a place of happiness or joy. It's a place of testing, of doubt, of wondering where God has gone. And the road to freedom for Israel was so difficult that, and I know this sounds crazy, but slavery began to sound good to Israel again. There's this wonderful little passage where they're sort of, you know, they're having a meeting with Moses. And this is what they say to him in Exodus 16, verse 3. Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat around by the meat pots, and we ate bread to the full. There's nothing better than a memory, right? But you have brought us out here into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, we've never really had congregational meetings here, uh, just because we can't get a space, and I don't like them. But uh, (laughs) we'll go with the we can't get a space to do it. But I used to go to these things in churches that I've worked at in, in the past, and Man, people say stuff like this to the they in, in, their, in their midst, you know? And when a change has been made in, uh, in, in the life of a community, sometimes people get really upset uh, with the change maker. And I just love this one. Like, they, they literally are saying, at least in slavery, we knew when the meals were coming. But out here, we're lost. We're confused. We're scraping by, and we're starving. Uh, Harriet Tubman, the queen of the Underground Railroad, was also nicknamed Moses. And she was known for having to threaten death to escapees in her party who were contemplating returning to their owners. I just love that she led campaigns to freedom, but she carried a gun. And if you so much as want to turn back, I'll kill you. And why? Well, because it, it, it compromises everyone. But it also reminds us that the road to freedom, for some, felt more unsafe than slavery. Now, I want you to think about that as we sort of move into this over the next few minutes, that sometimes we just don't want to get out of whatever we're in because it's just easier to stay put. And freedom, even the first breath of freedom from whatever it is that you feel enslaved to, is very, very frightening. It's very scary. 
And sometimes we just prefer to stay put. Now for Jesus and his disciples on this mountain, the resurrection and all that that would mean for the world is on the horizon. The disciples don't know this. They keep sleeping through these major events. But for Jesus, we know that the resurrection is on the horizon. And that has great implications for creation and for us, for you and for me. But the road to the resurrection for Jesus and his disciples would be an exodus road. They're talking about that. We're going to talk about your exodus today. So Peter's objection makes sense. Let's just live here. Why don't we just build some houses here where it's safe? We're, clearly, we're in the presence of God. But the road to resurrection would be really, really difficult. It would be hard. They would question everything along the way. As the 1970s rabbi Steve Miller once said, you've got to go through hell before you get to heaven. And that's true. I like that nobody cared about that, but that was a fantastic <laughs> reference, uh, reference that you need to go look up. Okay. Um, but something new was coming, and these disciples were being called to follow Jesus on that road into a new world to live in new ways and to trust that he's good and that he is for them. Now, we didn't read the rest of the story. They do return off the mountain and back into society. And one of the first things they encounter is just a really scary situation with a kid who needs some help and a father who's frantic and people who are crying out for their own needs. It's difficult. So they come off of this what we would call a mountaintop experience, and they roll right back into real world, you know? Um, it's coming home from church camp, singing on the bus, and then you get off and your mom is already yelling at you because you're late, as if you could control that. <laughs> it's always the youth pastor's fault. Just kidding, Kyle. Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, and this was Jesus' point, Jesus doesn't avoid stuff. All of us are called to follow Jesus into a new world, to new ways of living and to trust him, that he is good, that he is for us. And the way of Jesus is not ever the way of avoidance. It's an exodus way. We have to go through whatever it is that's in front of us. And we learn so much about the resurrection when we walk through these places and these valleys of struggle and friction and self-examination. And when Christ takes us through these and walks with us through these places, that's when we learn the most about who he is. And all of us in the room have an exodus road to walk. We all have a road of departure. And so what is yours? Um, I'll just do the greatest hits when the pastor transitions to the application piece. Um, is it the road, is your exodus road the road to forgiveness? I don't mean that you're forgiven, but that you have to buck up and forgive someone. Is that your exodus road? Could be. That's a tough one. That's probably the hardest one on the list. To walk that exodus road of forgiving someone of something they've done to you. Now don't be mistaken, forgiveness is not, hey, we're friends again. 
Forgiveness is actually just letting it go. Not letting it control you anymore and not wanting bad things to happen to the person that you're forgiving. That's when you know you're on the brink of forgiveness, you know. Well, I can let it go, but I don't, I'm not going to cry if they get in a car accident. Like, that's not what you, you're not there yet, okay? But don't confuse forgiveness with, now we have to go get coffee once a week and be friends. It's not that, but it is about letting God, God's grace and mercy fill their life, but also about letting yourself free from that. I don't know if you've ever experienced this with forgiveness and forgiving others. And this is the most frustrating thing about life, is that when there is someone that you need to forgive, this is, this is such a reality check. Man, they don't even remember you. You know? They just don't even... Sometimes they do. Sometimes they're just evil people. But most of the time, you're just, your act of forgiveness in your heart is really just you cutting uh, the rope. They've usually moved on. And that's an exodus road that's very difficult. Related to that, um, the more righteous big brother of forgiveness is reconciliation. Is that a road that you need to walk with people in your life? Um, these are people that usually you do life with, and so there has to be something. Reconciliation sits at the crossroads of we're in this or we're not. And that's a difficult road. But all of these things, even just these first two, and the stories that follow this transfiguration event, they're all in here. Jesus begins to teach his disciples very in a very hard and difficult way that these are real roads that we have to walk. What about the road to peace? Uh, The road to being a peacemaker in the world? It's difficult. Uh, I watched the uh, interview with uh, Patton Oswalt on Jimmy Fallon a few days ago. I don't know if you saw it. I love Patton Oswalt. Uh, Ratatouille, my friends. But... um, (laughs) But, you know, he's not known for his, like, <laughs> clean mouth or, like, his... And he's very politically angry most of the time. And, but it's funny. It's very, very funny. And he's, he's a brilliant person and very intelligent. He's also very anti-faith and religion. So um, I just kind of like him. I like listening to what he has to say. Uh, he says a lot of things that are very interesting. But he was on this... Um, he was, Jimmy was interviewing him. And I don't know if you've heard this story, but he... Uh, he got into a Twitter fight with a follower and just a random guy and uh, a Trump supporter. This was the argument. It was a Trump thing, you know? I don't know if you've heard of Trump, but um, <laughs> they got into this Twitter fight over Trump and, you know, and I'm sure Oswald is just winning. He's just winning this, you know, of course. Uh, he's so funny. But, uh, but in the interview, he says, however, I went back and I started to look through this man's Twitter feed. And then he says, the deeper I got into it, I just learned that this guy's a normal guy. He's got really bad health problems. He doesn't have insurance. He can't afford this procedure that he needs. And he had started a GoFundMe page, which had nothing on it, really. And so Oswald, like, did a 180 and, like, tweeted out the guy's GoFundMe and said, I'm giving to it. You give to it as well. And, um, and then he got all the money he needed, of course, and then some. And now he's feeding that off to other people. And this uh, statement from Oswald in the interview struck me, and I want to show it to you. 
He said, we've been taken to such extremes now in this country of hatred and vitriol that the only way the pendulum is going to swing back is if we come back at all this hatred and vitriol with insane amounts of compassion. The snark doesn't seem to be working anymore. And he said, that was it for me. At the end of my rope, there was compassion. That is the most Jesus thing I've ever heard an atheist say. And, and praise be to God for that. That at the end of my rope, there was compassion. If you're a person of war and not peace, you don't understand this. But there will be a time in your battles that at the end of your rope, that's what you'll find. That maybe the way forward is a completely upstream, weird response of compassion. That's an Exodus road. Maybe your road is out of addiction. That's a really big Exodus road. The road to sobriety is an Exodus road. The road to a healthier marriage, that's a really big Exodus road. The ways of Jesus do not avoid these things. We are never led by Jesus around these things, but straight into them, step by step. Now, let me make something clear because churches have a tendency to say the opposite, but Jesus does not cure your depression. That's not his job. But he does sit with you in counseling. And he reminds you that you can do this and that you were worth all the help that you were getting. Amen? That's what he does. You can pray for him to take it away. It just never happened. As someone who takes medication for depression and anxiety, Jesus doesn't take away your depression. But he reminds me that I'm worth all the help that I get. And that's what matters to me. Those are all Exodus rows. Maybe I didn't mention yours, but you know what yours is. Let me close by talking about another Exodus. On Monday, February the 1st, 2016, some of you remember this, but we were officially given our 60-day notice to find a new location for our church home three years ago. And that Sunday, that coming Sunday, February the 7th, 2016, was Transfiguration Sunday. And the passage that day that we preached from was this very same story. It was an interesting time. I remember when we got the notice, you were in, like, Portland or something. Where were you? Seattle. Whatever. (laughs) White hipsters, you know, whatever. (laughs) And I just remember you calling, going, what are we going to do? Like, it was really nervous, because you weren't here. I mean, I get it. I would have just quit. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But over the course of the next, you know, Hours, really, we began to look for spaces. We looked at 12 legitimate places to move our church, and all of them rejected us. And the clock was ticking. And so I did what you do in those situations. I Googled Atlanta event spaces. And this space showed up. I emailed the contact email on the site. And an hour and a half later, our staff was in the car making the nine-mile trip from Buckhead to here, saying, we can't move our church here. Like, God, what are you doing? Why 
or we hear. And then we came in here and like we loved it. We loved the space, you know. But we were so afraid to move because everything about, even though everything about the space was perfect for us, the location was terrible, at least in our minds. And yet we sat there in our office considering what might be happening. We prayed, Jesus, what are you, what are you doing? Where are you leading us? At that time, it really felt like, where are you pushing us? You ever felt that way? Where are you pushing us? And six weeks later, we held our first services here. And it was a difficult journey. Um, we smiled a lot, so you didn't recognize that. But we lost some people along the way. And like the Israelites in the wilderness, we too grew impatient and angry with God. Some people got angry with me. Why did you bring us all the way down here to kill this assembly? Hmm. The journey was exciting and terrible all at the same time. And here we are again, some 60 days away from moving our church into, this time, our final home. And we're looking at the very same passage we did three years ago to remind us that the way of Jesus is an exodus way and it is not easy. Early in the Christian tradition, the word Christian was not used as the name for the people who went to church, um, but one of the more known descriptors of this community uh, was, quote, the people of the way. Christians, before they were called Christians, were just called people of the way. To follow Jesus was to move about, to forward ourselves as he leads. And I find that we learn so much more about God's grace and mercy when we walk with God through life instead of around life. I don't know if God has been that for you, like God get me around this or through this or out of it. But what everything I see from Jesus is that that's not his path. His path is always an exodus path because that's where we learn the most and that's where we experience his grace the most. The road to the resurrected life is an exodus road. So we're not only going to be taking this as a church family, you're also having your own experiences on your own roads. And that's why it's important for us to be together, to remind each other that we are not alone, and that God walks with us as we walk with each other. Amen?